Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. Before we get started today, we wanna share with you a pretty important announcement. Yeah, just a few weeks from now on May 1st, we will be welcoming Shane Claiborne to the Sandbox for our next live event. Shane will share with us about social justice, peacemaking, and Jesus. He'll encourage us to interrupt the unhelpful patterns of our world with a prophetic imagination and get serious about creative ways to make our communities better for all people. If you haven't participated in a live event before, here's what you need to know. If you're in our area, we'll gather at Studio 324 in downtown Rochester, Minnesota. Doors will open at 6.30 and the event begins at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. And we want to make sure you do know that we are expecting a bigger crowd and seating is limited. If you want to join us online, you can head to sandboxcooperative.com a few minutes before 7 and you'll be able to watch from there. Following Shane's presentation, the audience, both in-house and online, will have the opportunity for a Q&A with Shane, where we can dig in just a little bit deeper. We're really excited for this event, and we can't wait to have you join us. But for now, I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And this is episode 19, The Guilt-Free Nap. Welcome to the Sandbox. My grandpa died about seven years ago. But last night, in a very vivid dream, grandpa was, all of a sudden, inexplicably, grandpa was alive again, and and I can't explain it. And he was looking great. Man, I was so excited to see him again. I couldn't wait to get caught up. So I ran into him at this convention center kind of a place, and I decided I wanted to take him out to dinner and a show. You see, he had done that with me for years, and I was never financially able to take him out, but now I, now I could, and it was going to be fun. We were going to be heading toward the, we were heading towards the doors and going to make our way out for the night. And as we went down the hallway, a member of my faith community popped out of a door and said, just like kind of out of nowhere and said, Dave, I need your help. We had a speaker lined up for a talk at our event, and she backed out at the last minute. We need you to talk. And he seamlessly ushered me into this convention center room and away from my grandpa. I entered this room with about three or four hundred people gathered there. And there was this electricity and this excitement in the room. And I sat down in a seat and and I tried to collect my thoughts. I was strangely energized by the request. I started furiously coming up with stories and illustrations and ideas for an impromptu talk. I decided that since I was there, I was going to win that room. I was going to inspire them. I was going to move them. I was going to give a great talk. I loved the challenge. It gave me a shot of adrenaline. All of a sudden, I looked up and I saw my grandpa waiting outside of the room for me. I didn't know what to do. On the one hand, I felt duty-bound to talk to this gathered room, even though it was never really my responsibility in the first place. On the other hand, I really wanted to go with my grandpa. I hadn't seen him in years, and he looked happy. It was going to be great. So I walked out to talk with my grandpa, and, and I wanted to figure out a way that we could push our schedule around, you know, this way and that way, just a little bit, so that I could meet up with him later. You know, that way I could both give the talk and see grandpa. I remember not feeling very happy or, or proud of myself as we worked it out. Then I woke up. I was laying in bed and just kind of stunned by this dream. 
I told my wife about it and she asked, you know, what's your takeaway? And almost immediately I said, I need to say no to some good things in order to say yes to the right things. I need to say no to some good things in order to say yes to the right things. So let's break this down for a minute. Saying no to good things and yes to the right things. It's an an important idea, I think, but I wonder how do you get there to the point where you might actually know what those, those right things are. And I think to even take the time to know which things are best sometimes feels like another thing to do. In the case of your dream, how did you decide which thing is the right thing? Of course the right thing is grandpa, right? What kind of monster would I be if I didn't say it was my grandpa after seven years apart? And honestly and sincerely, that is my answer. But there were also good things about the speaking gig. Someone needed help. I had the ability to make a difference. Selfishly, I enjoy the challenge and rush of it on just this basic level. But there are good choices and there are better choices. The challenge is pausing long enough, putting distractions aside and saying no so that I can say yes. So when we talk about pacing, about paying attention, and about making better choices, we often end up talking about technology. Though I don't think it's the whole thing, and I don't want to spend a lot of time there, I do think it's important to consider it as a piece of the puzzle. We think about technology and how it can maybe make life easier or more productive, but I think a lot of that depends on on how we use it. Like, how many notifications do you have popping up on your phone on an average mm-hmm. day, or what mm-hmm. apps do you have? Um, and I think about that in terms of the way that notifications should maybe remind us and save brain power instead of distracting us. So like the notification that pops up and says, hey, at 3.15 today, we're uh, typing up our podcast outline and uh, that's maybe a more helpful notification than, hey, look, you just got a new like on Facebook. But I like new likes. I mean, new likes are great. I'm just saying that maybe (laughs) they're a little bit drawing our attention away from the things yeah, the push the, the push notices are ridiculous yeah. at times, and they they can actually distract me from all different kinds of things: family, mm-hmm. kids, work, the, all the stuff that where my attention needs to be. And again, which notices are you getting? So right, I actually have right. this app that I really like, and it's called Stitch. Yeah, I've never used that. I've been hearing about it. Though. It's so it's it's short for Stay in Touch, and what it does is it actually tracks with your uh, text messages and your phone calls, and you can put in. Um, say like grandma, I want to call my grandma once a month and it will track through then what I'm doing. And if I don't get a hold of grandma somehow in that month, it'll pop up and say, Hey, you were supposed to call grandma in the last 30 days and you haven't yet. And it's been 45. You should call grandma. So it's, it's a technological way of nagging. (laughs) (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) It's also though, I think it's one of those examples of, you know, if, if uh, technology is, is there as a reminder and is for the things that you want to, to be doing anyway, something like that actually helps you stay in touch with your, with your family. I think it's just a matter of um, what do I need to see or what do I want to see and what can wait? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I, we struggle with technology. Like I hear you talking about this app and I'm like, well, it just sounds like another thing to distract me from the thing that I need to be about. But, but I think there are ways that it it can help us. And, and it's just how our posture towards 
you know, the way we access it. Uh, we struggle with technology uh, in some levels, I think, because it's, it's also relatively new. For example, the, the iPhone has only been around since 2007. That's crazy to me. Yeah. I yeah. cannot believe it. it's been what? So that makes it. Let me do some quick math here. Six, nine years. You're good. <laughs> good math. That was really hard, you yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I could see the hamster on the wheel in your mind. Just yeah, turning. Yeah. So just nine years ago, this is yeah. brand new cha- technology that changes everything. It changes everything. And now, you know, it seems like, you know, they're, for some people, it's, it's all they've ever known, for one. And, and then for two, it, it's, it's almost old technology. And people are now running around with an Apple Watch and other wearables as this intermediary with their phones. So in other words, it's more technology to be present to your technology. Don't judge my watch. I'm not judging, I'm not hating. Like on some levels, I'm a bit jealous. I might pop you on the head and take it. But it presents challenges, doesn't it? I mean, think about how much these devices and others have shifted our way of, of being. In many ways, we haven't even learned how to deal with this technology yet. Which is part of why I think mindfulness practices are, are so popular lately. Um, we almost need to force ourselves to be a bit more reflective to counteract or change our pace. So we're hearing about mindfulness everywhere from major corporations to schools and coloring books. Uh, in fact, I have a City Maps coloring book sitting in my Amazon wish list that I just added yesterday. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I do. I'll <laughs> gladly share the list. And anybody that wants to buy me any gifts can uh, go ahead. Uh, I'll tell you my address and you can know where to send ship them. Send us away. <laughs> But that uh, that theme that when it comes to technology, I think it's really just a symptom of that bigger picture. I think we've actually reached a point where the pressure to go, to produce, to be efficient just isn't returning the same results that it used to. And we have this huge weight as a culture, and we're starting to realize that our fast pace keeps us from reflecting on our lives. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a, f- a friend last night, and he said he wished that the world would actually turn just a little bit slower so that we had 30 hours in a day instead of 24. The problem with that, I was saying, is that if we had 30 hours instead of 24, well, we would fill those 30 hours and just pack it tightly, and, and then we'd want more hours. Yeah, I mean, we'd just have a 12-hour workday instead of an eight-hour workday. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe then we'd be more honest with how many hours we're working? Um, probably not. Okay. All right. <laughs> But this, I mean, this just really isn't good for anyone. It's not good. It's honestly not good for business. It's not good for learning. It's not good for healing. And it's definitely not bringing about the ease of life that we often think about when we think about being more efficient and using technology to to aid us there. Um, And all of that tells me that that I and we really aren't sure where we belong in terms of where we place energy. We're just not taking the time to pause and look into our experiences enough to lift up the things that feel most valuable and helpful at least not very often. And I do think that that may be a piece of the despair we can often feel. In the middle of the world rushing past us, we continue to grapple with the questions of who am I and what am I here for? And yet with less and less space to discover them. All right. True confessions here. No, you're not going to tell them, are you? Yeah, we are telling them. So here's the thing. It was 3.15. We record at 4 on Tuesday and we're outlining and and crafting this podcast. Meanwhile, as we're doing that, Karsten, our producer, who's sitting right here to my left, he says he wasn't sleeping. 
<laughs> We're not so sure. But he was, <laughs> he was snoring. There was definitely snoring. That I can confirm. So it's... So can I. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tuesday at 3.15. We're outlining, we're crafting this podcast. And if you are one of the first listeners, you are listening on Wednesday. Which I would like to just remind everyone comes after Tuesday. It does come after Tuesday. And we are doing this at the very last minute. But if we were experts at this, here's how we break it down. What do we mean when we're talking about being present? First, I would say it's slowing down enough to pay attention. How are we making space? Second, it's paying attention to the things and people around you. How are we actually absorbing our experiences? Finally, paying attention to you, your identity and self. How do we have clarity on who we are and what we love? And, you know, we joked about this with with recording the podcast, but what it means to be present is actually a question I've been wrestling with pretty seriously over the last year or so. I've been asking, where do I spend my time and energy and where do I want to spend my time and energy? And finding that they don't necessarily always line up. Uh, But because of that, I'm actually in the middle of this practice tracking where my time is spent. I'm using, uh, apparently it goes with the watch and the other apps. I'm using an app called Toggle to track every minute of my day and categorize it. So which project is it at work? Is it personal? Is it something at home? Is it entertainment or relaxation or time spent with family and friends? And while I'm relatively new into this exercise, what I'm learning is that I'm spending a sizable amount of my day on things I don't feel like are my best things. For me, it's a matter of desiring more time for creativity and open space for new ideas. But the point of all of it is that it did take a certain amount of change to my pacing and perspective to even begin to look at what is currently true, let alone realign that to what I find important. Yeah, what do you find important? What are the most important things? And so the question is, how do you discover that? How do you you figure out what that might look like? So here's the thing. It's actually a couple of years ago, my wife and I met with a financial advisor And before he could even work with us, he insisted that we needed to come to some consensus about our values. And since we merge our funds together, uh, my wife and I, we just have one bank account, right? In order to decide how we spend our money, we needed to name the most important things. He handed us each an identical deck of 100 cards. They had things written on it like big vacation, new car, charitable giving, Education, debt, family, retirement, new clothes, you get the picture. All kinds of different things that people spend their money on. Anyway, we had to throw out 50 cards and keep 50 cards. Then we had to pare our cards down to 25, then 10, then 5. When we got to our top 5 cards, it was then that we revealed our choices to one another. And I'm proud... (laughs) we're actually maybe lucky enough to say that three out of our five cards were exactly the same. And then the two that were different were actually quite similar. And so we were able to seamlessly make our goals. But here's the thing. We We all have two basic commodities. We have time, we have money. And we can spend them in a hundred different ways. But what are your top five? What if you went through this exact same exercise thinking about time? What are your most important things? What are your top five? 
So you had 100 cards, and you had to mm. get rid of 95. Right. I think that's a great image of this, because in the 95 cards that you got rid of, there were probably some really great things. Absolutely, right? there were, yeah. But without getting rid of them, there's no way to clarify to the five that you shared with each other. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't willing to take the time to figure out what those five are, that means we're trying to fit all 100 of them into the space, time, and resources of just five. And that, to me, sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> right. But guess what? We, we have limits. That's our reality. I'm not God. You're not God. We're not God. And in fact, if we try to care about everything, we become apathetic. Can't do it. If we care about everything, you know, we care about nothing. And that's great insight. I think apathy, you know, we often think about it as looking like not caring and we get frustrated when others don't care about our causes or issues. But I think, like you said, we're also apathetic if we try to juggle everything together with equal weight. And so limits are helpful. Not everything can be important for all of us all the time. We're legitimately only capable of caring so much. And at some point, we have to be realistic about that. Sometimes you need to take care of you. Sometimes other things have to wait so that you can be at your best. Right. So we were talking about this earlier, but but last weekend I had put in a bunch of hours at the office and and by Sunday afternoon, I was whipped. The house was in good order and no big chores to do. My kids were all busy with friends and they were content. I could barely stand up straight. So I went to take a nap. And that's the height of luxury in my opinion. So I laid down in bed and, and tried to take a nap. I had about an hour, but I was afraid. Seriously, if I slept like I really needed to, I was pretty sure I would not ever wake up again. (laughs) I was sure I would at least sleep until the next day. Then all the things I needed to do wouldn't get done. You know, things, those things that couldn't wait. What things? I'm not sure but they kept me from having a real deep, satisfying nap. I needed a nap, rest, and, and rather than simply enjoying the heck out of it, I had a moderate nap, a just okay kind of a nap, a limp handshake kind of a nap. I needed a guilt-free nap of awesomeness, but it, it was kind of a passive-aggressive, shamey kind of a nap, and I did it to myself. I woke up thinking, next time, just nap. Don't worry about the other stuff. Enjoy the luxury when you get it. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is when he was getting started with his work and ministry. He had spent some time in this one town and everybody there loved him and they wanted him to stay. They went out to find him one, one morning, but he was gone. As the story goes, the people hunted for him. They searched everywhere until they found him just outside of town. He was meditating, was praying. They insisted that he come back to their town. But Jesus said, no. He had clarity of mission and purpose. He was going to go to the next town, and then the town after that, and then one after that. He was going to travel one place to the next and teach about love, generosity, forgiveness, and joy. He said no in order to say yes. He said no to a good thing and and yes to a better thing. 
And I like to think that somewhere in the middle of it, he stole some time away and got a guilt-free nap. And maybe we should too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. Again, a quick reminder that on May 1st at 7 p.m. Central Time, Shane Claiborne will be joining us for the Sandbox Cooperative Live event. And we can't wait for you to join us, either in person or online, at sandboxcooperative.com. And as always, we'd love to stay in touch and continue the conversation beyond the podcast. Sign up for our email updates, connect with us through Facebook and Twitter, and be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening. See ya. Bye-bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox. 